Thank you for joining us. This is episode 32 of Amateur 3D Podcast, a podcast by amateur printers for amateur printers, where we share our thoughts and experience. Our panelists this week are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Andy Cottom, Kevin Buckner, and Chris Webb. Have you guys had a good like, week? Yep. Yeah, it's been a good week. Sure. Hey, we're on the cubed episode. Cubed. The cubed? Cubed. 32. Episode 32. Oh, oh okay. Holy moly. I, I, <laughs> I would catch it. Okay. Anyway. Uh, except for. Fast. <laughs> <laughs> there comes a point where you're thinking in such high level math that sometimes lower level math takes a second to work back in. Oh, okay. And so my brain got distracted <laughs> on figuring that out. Taking care of <laughs> will do that for you. <laughs> well, I was helping my wife with some algebra this morning oh. and um, showed her a method for how calculus works to achieve the same thing. And she's like, oh, that's so much easier. And it's like, yes, but you have to understand the concept of what you're working on now before you can do the more complex but easier thing later. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. And that, that's why we start with arithmetic instead of calculus in elementary school. I was going to say, that's why you start with addition and subtraction before you go on to multiplication and division. Oh, it's all <laughs> arithmetic, though. Yeah. I was just saying I was going to break it down even farther than you. Well, yeah. Yeah. Break you are the true scientist among us. So it makes sense that you would be more granular wherever you can. Yeah. So, Kevin, uh, have you worked on anything this week? Yes. Uh, I haven't done anything with the uh, resin printer. I still haven't gotten those disposable shop towels yet. Um, but I did make uh, the, uh, the two brack that I was talking about um, so that I, I had two of them printed up to assemble and... Um, the first one was not as good. So the problem I had was that the, the tabs that I had printed on each of the rack pieces didn't fit into the holes that I made in the side support pieces. So the first one I did, I just clipped them off and glued it together. And then I realized, because I, I also had trenches that I had printed into the side pieces to give support to the racks or to the rack pieces themselves. Mm hmm. Um, the problem is that I didn't have anything to keep them straight after I had cut the, uh, the tabs off. So it, the first one I put together was kind of crooked. Okay. Um, then advanced. So, <laughs> so then the, with the second one with, so when I first tried to trim down the tabs, I first got out the rotary tool and that was taking forever. So then I said, okay, this isn't going to work. So I got the X-Acto knife and it was not doing much better. So then I got the, uh, the dikes and I used those to clip the tabs off. And then when I went to put the second one together, I had the dikes in my hand, one hand and the thing in the other. And I was like, wait a minute, I could just use these to trim down the tabs. And so I did that. And then they fit in the holes just fine. And so the second one was much better. It turned out exactly the way I wanted it to. So now I just need to go back to the drawing board and make the holes slightly bigger so that the tabs will fit into them without having to do any trimming. Okay. So there was that. And then I've also uh, started printing the dice tower that I had printed on my resin printer. I'm, I've scaled it up 130%. 
because my brother-in-law likes to use the dice tower, but he's got some dice that are just a little too big. So this is taking it from like a 30 millimeter opening to a 40 millimeter opening, which should be big enough for his dice because they were only like one or two millimeters too big. So that's okay. what I'm doing right now. Nice. Sounds fun. Third time's a charm, man. Well, it wouldn't be 3D printing if you weren't iterating on your final design a few times. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, like writing. You know, you you got a rough draft, a medium draft, and a final draft, and sometimes you have a a double final draft. But... Well, and there have been several times where I wished it only took three iterations. So um, yeah, like I was going to say, with your first draft, second draft, third draft, I, uh, the book I published. Uh, that's the ninth draft of it that I published. <laughs> wow. So yeah, printing is just like writing. <laughs> In a lot of ways. Well, it's like anything, get, right? Before you get what you really want. Yeah. I don't know if there... it matters a whole lot, but where you were printing something large, I know I always like to test interference fits. I first do assemblies on the multiple parts on the computer to make sure you got the holes in the right place at least. Yeah, but then rebuild the little interference pieces and then just print them all at once so you can just test fit them by just printing just a little so. section of the darn thing and you can test fit different pieces. Or even, so. uh, you know, a lot of times I'll say, okay, well, I got a, you know, a two millimeter by four millimeter tab. So let's, let's make, you know, three separate sizes of that tab and then print them off, you know, which is going to take five minutes to do and, and let you, you know, slide and play with them to see which one actually is the best fit for the size you use. And then you could, you know, put that in the final design. And at least on big items, when you're going to be wasting a lot of plastic, right. always do those interference prints too. And Yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's what I'm going to do when I get around to um, redesigning the, the side, the holes in the side pieces is I'm just going to print what is necessary to do that test fit uh, to make sure it works. Um, but then another problem that I had was when I uh, set up the build plate the first time, there was just a little bit of an elephant foot going on. So it was after that that um, I watched a, a video about a guy who was talking about doing the folded over piece of paper to get the tension right um, when you're adjusting your bed height. And I had only done a flat piece of paper. And, he, and so he said, if you get it if you get the, your nozzle the correct distance from the bed, you're not going to have any elephant's foot. So that's what I did the second time. And I didn't see any elephant's foot with the first piece of the dice tower that I printed. That's so good. I think I've got it right now. Nice. Any adhesion issues? Nope. Well, I guess it is one big flat piece. So you probably wouldn't have any adhesion issues on something like that. But again, follower, follower advice if you're printing stuff that's going to have less surface area on the plate. Do a do do a do a brim or a raft. But, well, I, yeah. On those particular ones, I I personally will will go for squish, you know. Um, but I'll also chamfer just a little bit on on the entire bottom side to compensate for the elephant's foot. So you know that oh. that kind of works and allows me to keep the good adhesion too from squishing it into the glass plate. So oh, I'm also uh, printing on a textured surface. Yeah, you've got a totally different situation, but so it all, does of this, come up, it... all of this is why I actually find benefit in um, setting my plate to zero 
and then using the Z offset to choose how far that is because I can fine tune it without having to rebalance my build plate. Yeah, Z offset is a great tool. Now, I don't think I ever retune mine. I just have it set. Yeah, but you do periodically watch it and then dial in your build plate while it's running, right? So and then, Yeah, but it's rarely that I have to ever change anything. Well, once it's oh. set, it, you don't need to worry about it. My point yeah. being, you're using the same process with a manual intervention instead of a, a program programmatic one. So, uh, I use the programmable one. So when, when I level my bed, that's what my machine calls zero. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and then I just changed that in in the slicer. I would be afraid because with that particular, when you bring it all the way into making contact with the bre- with the bed, is you can only see the error in one direction as it's you know if it pulls away. If it pushes further into the bed, you can't really see that. And where I've got it to where you can see that sliver of light underneath the head. If that sliver disappears, I know I'm too close. If the sliver's too big, then you know I'm too far away. Hmm. Okay. I feel like we got a little far afield. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this we all have our own way to do it. Whatever works for uh, everybody is really what it comes down to. So it's yeah. the uh, same old debate, wrong, right? And I'm right. So you know, <laughs> I think it's we all same old to that same concept. <laughs> You're welcome well, to your wrong opinion. Well, yeah. this is part. This is a little bit part of today's topic because you know. You'll be changing plastics and dealing with uh, the way different plastics react and adhere to your printer if you're changing colors. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've come across that quite a bit because I've been using lots of different colors and just going with whatever cheap set I can can find on the Amazon. Oh, yeah? Like, what have you been working on, Chris? Not this week, but, you know, it's (laughs) been over the course of my my printer. Um, invitations again. So, yes, I'm using. I've been using GIMP, and the uh, the wife has not been particularly happy or satisfied with any of the stuff I've come up with. So, hmm. and she's she's going into emergency mode where she's like, "Well, I got to get these things printed and sent." And I'm like, "I just gave you like <laughs> three different ones you can use. I don't like those." <laughs> well, that's your problem. Anyway. <laughs> so are, are these just straight images you're doing on paper for those particular ones? Uh, yeah. Well, th- the thing is, they're JPGs, so they're, they're I'm exporting them as JPGs so that she can uh, throw them into Word and print them however she wants them. And then if we really want, we can just text them to some people too. So Okay. Have you printed anything this week? With the uh, bubble jet printer. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Chris, no, my 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 idol, my printer set idle this week. Chris, you you were talking about using GIMP and all of that stuff, and all it did was make me think: wouldn't it be fun to get a setup with an Arbor Press and you three D print what you're putting on your documents? But it's a like a uh, an ink a traditional uh, media press where you're just running off these invitations. With kind, a, of like a, uh, kind of like a shirt screen or like a like the old fashioned original, you know, uh, newspaper press. Yes. Newspaper press. Yeah. I think it'd you be know, fun. And then you 3D print what you're putting on there. You know, when you first said that, the first thing that came to my mind that you were going with is doing like custom embossing with a 3D printed 
you know, pieces inside of an arbor press. That way you can emboss. You, you could the do cards. that too. You could do that too. <laughs> just all the way across. I yeah. think that'd I think, be fun. I think like, I'm just 3D printing invitations with like the little 3D cards that you can clip apart and whatnot. Oh. Hey, there you go. I oh, I think that's Christ. what Chris has been trying to do and just hasn't been working according to his wife's uh, expectations. <laughs> yeah, no, so actually, start- I, I don't have a whole lot of plastic at the moment. You know, I've I've got little bits and pieces of a few different kinds of few different kinds, but Easter kind of, um, yeah, between Christmas and Easter. I don't have a lot of different kinds of plastic left. <laughs> really? That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. Use all the colorful stuff up during that time. Yep. But um, yeah, you, you, you have to be able to uh, check and test what, what different colors, plastic, different colors, plastic do uh, with your printer. Some of them, you do have to change the Z offset for the, um, for 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 better adhesion, some of them you do have to change the the printer width a little a little bit. Some of them you have to uh, change the temperature. Some of them you have to change all of the, all of the above. You know, so you have to kind of test because, like, I I got some 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 red stuff and I've got some white stuff, and they're from the exact same company and they're the exact same stuff and they're, but they're different colors, so you think you you think the settings would work the same for both of them, and they don't. <laughs> hmm. That is so, odd. Yeah, it is. It could just be that I'm dealing. It's because I'm buying the cheap stuff, so that could, could be. I, I've heard of other people complaining about that similar problem too. I've never really experienced it on my own, but I, I've heard, you know, from some of the other podcasts I listen to about 3D printing, complaining about that too. So I, I don't think you're you're experiencing anything weird. Or experience, or your experience is being weird because it's the cheaper stuff. I don't think neither of those apply. So I think it's just the nature but, of buying filament. But that's where you know Cura's presets come in kind of handy. Is I can I can I can fine tune said color and type, and then I save that in Cura's preset. And so whenever I go back to that color, I can just go click the preset and I say, okay, it was this brand red. Gotcha. That's convenient. So, yeah, that's yeah. good. So, uh, if you do use Cura, take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, with I've with my you. own filament, I have basically stuck with the same vendor because they seem to be pretty common across all the colors and all that. So, it has required minimal um, adjustment on my part whenever I change. I still, obviously, I'll, I'll go through and print the Benchy and all that stuff to be sure, but. It's been nice that way. I hear you. I stick with the same vendor too most of the time. Every once in a while, you'll go to, oh, I need some of this. And you'll go look and it's like, ah, it's a stupid price right now. Okay, I guess I'm getting a a reel of weird stuff until the price comes back down to reasonable or whatnot. But Either that or the uh, because they have such tight tolerances, they don't mess with stuff that is a little more experimental. And they just don't carry what you're looking for. So yeah. you have to look with another vendor <laughs> and yeah. roll dice. <laughs> and yeah, and because of the various requests from the, the child and the wife, um, I end up buying buying a lot of those sets that are like four or five different colors in okay. half half kilogram reels instead of the full two kilogram reels. So okay. 
There you, you go. Two kilogram reels? Where do you find those? I think he's meaning one kilogram reels, but used to two pounds. Okay. That makes right. sense. All right. Yeah, one kilogram. No yeah. I've so done that same exact error when talking about filament. So, because yeah, the brain so is operating on SAE oh. and I'm trying to force metric into it. So, <laughs> 2.2 kilogram reels. We'll, we'll figure out what you're talking about. You're okay. <laughs> so, Andy, have you worked on anything this week? I have. I have. Oh, you want you want to hear about it? Oh, okay. Oh, I, I thought <laughs> no. we were doing yeah. a podcast yeah. where we talked yeah. about our own projects. I, I guess <laughs> I'm in the wrong place. I can shut everything down and go away if you like. <laughs> I, uh, I I'm quite excited with uh, some of my progress that I found. Um, I figured out with my phone case why my printer prints weird geometry when I've tried to increase its bed size, and that's because there's two places I need to change the bed size in the source code. And I did not know that. And, uh, but I that found doesn't it. make any sense to me. That's the embodiment of failure to, uh, um, globalize some settings. Yeah. I don't know. And it, it could be, I mean, it is uh, Marlin 2.0 that I'm using. Um, I think I've got the straight version, but I might have something that somebody else has played with or something, but either way, I got it working and I'm ecstatic about that. I uh, was able to increase my bed size and have it work like normal. I, I started off by making a, um, uh, a 0.6 inch thick box around the entire build area that my phone case would take. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with uh, 0.2 layers or 0.2 millimeters thick. So it was like the just one single layer print job of mm -hmm. the outside pattern of the phone. And I was able to print that to zero it in to make sure the printer wasn't crashing because I was going outside of its, you know, the way it could, could work. And that way, too, after it's done, I could go in and measure it to see if I'm getting any weird geometry like I was last right. time. And uh, I'm not. And I, I didn't. And so I tried printing it. And um, you guys can look at this sucker. It is pretty. Look how shiny that print job is. Oh, did wow. share a picture before, me. too. I thought that was uh, yeah. the face of your phone for a second. Holy crap. Nope. Yeah, that, that that's the print job itself. It just that it is came out gorgeous. Pretty oh, beautiful. beautiful. But um, I also took your guys' recommendations on this and was very careful with my layer lines. Uh, this phone case that I printed, I, I like the vertical flip cases, but I like the ones that flip up, not the ones that flip down. And so that's why I was kind of so anal about making my own. I've always taken the ones that flip down like you can buy off Amazon and whatnot, and then cutting out the camera hole so I can use the case upside down, essentially. But um, the, the ones that flip vertically means the footprint of the case for a normal size phone is huge. This was 360 millimeters, I think it was, long. Wow. Nice. And uh, I'm trying to print that on a 300 by 300 millimeter bed. So that's why we're, you know, pushing it to get outside of those build areas. But uh, the living hinge on, on this pin here, I took uh, Frank's uh, recommendations and was very careful in the layer line direction. In fact, I completely customized the layer line direction. You guys I, can see that the, if you can see the layer lines, they're vertical here. Mm -hmm. And uh -huh. then when you look at the hinge, they're going oh. at 45 degrees. And then Opposite the layer un underneath this 45 degrees is 45 in the other direction. Right. Nice. So the three, 
yeah, the three layers that made the hinge was a, a straight vertical and then 45 one way and 45 the other way. So there's still, so there's no layers running along the hinge. They're all running across the hinge. And, and um, to be fair, if I, I believe I remember Chris voicing that idea first. So oh, was it him? Of course, credit it was Chris. Due, he's the one that comes up with all the good ones. <laughs> credit <laughs> where it's due, I'm pretty sure that was Chris's idea first. Yeah, no. But so it, it, it does that 45 degree up until the very last layer. You can see that it goes back to being vertical again. So that way I got the appearance that I like with the, you know, mix of the 45 degrees that, that Chrissy recommended here for strength. And um, I also made the shell layer lines for the case quite thick to stop from tearing the living hinge. Oh, which is that, what happened to my that looks track. like a sewn seam. The it way does. that came out, wow. it, it looks like when, when you're doing like with leather or cloth or something, you roll the piece in and then you sew the edge together so it looks sharp and clean. That's what yeah. it looks like. Speaking oh, of yeah. iteration learning. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. This took quite, quite a bit. Um, while I was playing with my printer, I did play with a little bit of my bed crashes and I still got a lot of area left that I can print on the bed. The, the way the head sits on my bed with my new carriage is further back, is closer to the gantry than the original design. And so okay. that, that means I, I got a little bit more ways I could push the bed at its max before I start hitting the screws that hold on to my bed. And that's and wide it, distance that you have a little more of then. Yeah, yeah. And, and where it crashes is just where uh, one of the pieces of aluminum extrusion or not extrusions but the aluminum ca uh, caps that holds the uh the pulley for the belt that drives mm. the y is nice and sloped up a little bit nice and pretty like and it's crashing into that slope and so this will be the first time i'm going to do something like this but i'm going to take a dremel to that and i'm going to cut a little bit of that out because i can get almost another full centimeter get another 10 millimeters if that slope was just if I cut maybe three millimeters off of that aluminum, that aluminum piece. And it doesn't and so need to, to be super strong to hold the pulley because you're not putting a ton of force on it. So yeah. And the whole piece is like 25 millimeters tall and I'm taking about three millimeters off the top of that. So I'm not affecting any of the, the way it was designed or whatnot, but mm -hmm. that will stop my bed from crashing and I can pull it the a little bit further. I can pull that extra 10 millimeters outside of that area for when I do want to do larger things like this. So I'm going to wind without, uh, adjustments without changing functionality. Yeah, yeah. Nice. And then I'll be able to have it zeroed in proper. And then anytime I want to print something really large, I only have to tell Kira that my bed is bigger than 300 by 300, and then readjust my zero offsets on the X and Y. And those are the only two settings I'd have to do to go from, you know, a 300 by 300, which is the good print area to printing outside of that, where I can get the 310 by, I might be able to get like 315 out of it. So cool. But, uh, but that's it. I got a phone case that finally worked and it came out beautiful. And this is all made out of TPU and it's nice and flexible. And I'm a yeah, little I'm disappointed. Very... We, we haven't got to see your adventures and gluing TPU together. <laughs> yeah, I never, I, I haven't even opened the bottle of the Tetra Hydro stuff. That Tetra, I, I thought you tested it at least once. Um, well, no, I haven't used it since 
Oh, since gotcha. Then. I haven't used it for any real projects at all. Gotcha. So fair, but uh, but well, we'll have to see. It is nice to have it done in just one piece on the phone case than having it done in two. But as it was designed to do. To be yeah. I agree. That, that's if how you designed it. If you can print something in one one piece, please do it. Yeah. Well, as and as, oh, it's nice to have the final product reflect what you envisioned in the first place, rather than having to find a way to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that is very true. Agreed. But uh, as far as 3D printing goes, uh, that was that was fairly it. I've done a couple more jobs for my son's play. They asked me to print a couple other things. They asked the wife to to have a couple other things, and so we ran those off. But that was only two items. Victims uh, of your play. own success. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, do, you, do you do you get the fancy uh, multicolored wife hands when she's been painting things like my wife does, or? The multicolored what? The multicolored uh, hands. Oh, hands? Uh, from like touching paint or something? As yeah. in she likes the finger paint as much as brush paint? The amazing, the amazing technicolored uh... wife hands. <laughs> no, I actually, I haven't noticed any of that, to be honest. I, I, I'm sure it happens, but uh, not that I've, I've noticed. <laughs> um, as far as printing goes, that was pretty much it. But when it comes to 3D modeling, this last week, I got my scanner. I got the mole scanner and have been right. playing with that. I put Molly. about a half hour of play into it. and um, Got the rudiments down then? Kind of. I got some of it down. It's, it's not a just works kind of thing. It's not I like a camera. One. I bought the cheaper one without a turntable. Mm-hmm. And me handling the scanner by hand, it's really easy for the scanner to get misaligned. Okay. And so that's kind of the problem I'm fighting now. I don't want anybody to, to think that it's a bad idea to get or whatnot. I still don't know how to use it. So, you know, I, I'm sure it could operate, you know, you see in the commercials for it of people just using it really smoothly and easily by hand and it's working fine. And for me, it seems to get off track, but. Well, it's like the ads for 3D printers. You see people printing all these nice, beautiful, huge objects when really there's a lot of, (laughs) there's, there's a lot of figuring out and, ah, my Z is off off, like at the very, very top of my build. Ah. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's a lot of learning that needs to be done, but mm-hmm. I have played with it a little bit. I wound up ordering a turntable for it so that I could uh, uh, try a, a more automated kind of way of, of scanning items that uh, seems to work let, a lot better for people. I'd let okay. you borrow my turntable, but I like using my records. Yeah, my wife wouldn't let me touch hers for this either. Plus, it may move way too fast. <laughs> but <laughs> so, so set it on the 33 rpm instead of the 45 <laughs> um so you, you talking about this just makes me think why aren't you 3d printing your way into a solution there andy uh most of it was time constraints i don't have a lot of time to play with the printer and i could have done that i've got everything to do it it would probably be maybe a two hour long project to do but um, because I've got some geared down stepper motors that would drive things perfectly and stuff like that. But um, when you can just buy a, a simple battery operated turntable off Amazon for like six bucks, I'm just going to do that. So, yeah, if you can buy your that, way that out of it for less than 20 energy. bucks, it is worth your time. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I just went that route. 
That, that sounds like something the minimalists would say. Yeah, I definitely could have, but I just, you know, I don't have a lot of time to sit down and design. Uh, the stepper motor I'd use means I'd have to use a microcontroller to control it. And I'd have to code that. And so there'd be a little bit more to it than just the printing itself and getting it done. Um, and that's so assuming I, you don't want to go the direction of a hand crank. Yeah, yeah, that is true. That is true. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm still playing with it. Um, I would love to be able to give you guys a wonderful update and how awesome it is. But at this moment, I can't really do that. But it still looks like it's got that potential. But uh, it's neat watching it create the point cloud. I'll give it that. Um, as with all the work in photogrammetry I've done and how you, much you struggle creating a decent point cloud, it is amazing how fast this works and uh, how accurate it seems to be when it is function, you know, when it does function well. So well, um, and the yeah. software is really good at, at like merging separate point clouds together so you can take multiple scans to make one item. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I, I, I think I just need more time with it. When, when we were first looking at it, I was looking at the resolution and the uh, reliability it's, it was rated for. And I'm like, wow, that is exactly the same as this professional-grade uh, hexagon arm. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I was like, wow, we are getting into affordability for a lot of the, the high-resolution stuff. It's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. And I still don't know what I'm going to use it for. I think if you are copy in a component that is like uh, mechanical that's uh, geometrical um it's definitely much better to measure and just recreate it from scratch than it is to try to scan something you know in that you want to replicate but uh you know things like figurines or something like that might be more fun to do with the scanner i, I just i don't know its placement yet in my head one of the like a great example would be is if I, let's say I got to replace a knob on the stove, I would absolutely love to sit and scan really quickly where the knob goes, you know, with the shank and all that other kind of stuff. Then bring that model into the CAD software and and use that for interference fits with my 3D part that I'm creating. You know, I was, that, actually, that's the, I was actually just thinking the exact same thing, except with my uh, uh, glasses lenses. You know, I, I want to print a new uh, uh, a new pair of glasses that will take my the lenses from my last pair or something like that. You know, no, yeah, that's that actually be... a really great example because the shape of your lens is cut. It's something that would be really hard to measure exactly how they got that angle. It would be almost easier to just do it off of a, a picture or like something like this modeling it. And that would exactly. turn out really well. And that's the real value of the scanner is being able to capture complex geometries. Yeah. Um, and then being able just, to just because work it would be so involved. It. Yeah. It would be so involved to uh, measure and redesign. Yeah, exactly. So still experimenting. I'm definitely going to play with it a little bit this weekend here. See if I can't get it to work a little bit better. My turntable should be showing up from Amazon sometime today, too. So I'm hoping putting stuff on a turntable will get me by on the getting misaligned so easily part while I learn to operate it properly, where this probably isn't an issue. I just haven't played with it enough to know how to do it right. Okay. But, uh, I, I, do, I do have an idea that I want to insert in your brain, and then yeah. we can go on from there. Okay. Mount the scanner on your drone. 
That would be fun. <laughs> that Uh-oh. would be. Gears the only problem is it, the the working range of the scanner, though, is the problem. If I'm if I'm doing like 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 when when I took and made a model of my property, mm-hmm. photogrammetry with the drone is going to be where that's going to be best at. That kind of scale is not going to be done with the little hand scanner. Um, I think the hand scanner itself has to be between like a foot and a half and three feet away from the surface you're scanning. And so that's the only area that it's actually recording the pl- a point cloud in. Because I think it oh, works okay. a little bit like the way um, the uh, so PlayStation exactly. does its uh, looking at a room, I think. I'm, I don't know exactly how, how it works, but there that's- is a, a small window of distance in it that it can measure. So. Okay, I know so the PlayStation like- and even the uh, what's the the Google one. I know. Anyway, um, I know that they do something like that for sure, so that you can set boundaries and not run into the couch or the coffee table or whatever. Yeah, um, they do like an IR flash, and then they only record for a certain window of time for the reflection, and the more that gets reflect tells you the distance and stuff. So I um, suspect that's how it works. I don't know for sure. Uh, sort of. So I, it's, it's I, a lot like that laser laser scanner I was telling you, except more in, it uses infrared instead of blue light. Blue light. So okay. it's got a certain reflection range and area because of where the sensor is set back versus where the IR lights are pointed. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, it does. Actually, it does. It's 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 like using your glasses. You've got a certain focal point that you can that, that you you can use. That, that explains why the scanners got the cameras like all in one line or something. And all the kit scanners you see often have the the two lenses apart from each other too. Like it's doing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's how they film with 3D for 3D. Uh, we call it 3D, but when you go to a movie and that sort of thing is presented in 3D. They get those perspectives by having by recording from three perspectives, and then your glasses will filter out specific uh, light frequencies. Stuff, yeah. Right. So one eye sees from the left camera, and the other eye sees from the right camera. And if you take the camera or the lenses off, it looks all blurry. It looks. That's because they're all being presented at the same time. Yep, it makes sense. Yeah, so it's doing some neat stuff, and I'm going to play with it a little bit more, and hopefully our next podcast, I would have played with it for another half hour, because I've got tons of time to do this stuff, and I'll have a little bit more detail. Well, you bought it at the right time of year. What's that? said you seem to have bought it at the right time of year. Yeah, (laughs) no kidding. Yeah, right when things get really busy. What have you been working on, Frank? Um, Well, this week, I... I can't remember what I started I, with. I totally forgot. I um, but I, I finished up this week by working on some little containers for my toolbox. Um, over the years, I've bought a bunch of little packets of you know small screws and nuts and bolts and that sort of thing. And they were just cluttering up my uh, toolbox. So I printed off. These are 50 millimeters tall or 30 millimeters in diameter. Okay. Uh, these little containers that are threaded. I, I couldn't think of doing this a week ago. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
so the, the lid is threaded on and then it fits and organizes all of the small stuff inside of my uh, little toolbox. Um, probably my favorite aspect of it all was I managed, I created, I'm calling them jars for lack of a better word. Um, I knurled the sides of the jars for the whole length. So yeah. you can grip the, the lid and the jar itself to get it apart because they're so, so small. Yeah. So I've seen s very similar stuff where people got, people uh, have made, made something like that, but then they had a little thing on the end for an O-ring so that the, so you, you'd have a watertight container for camping or whatever, but it looks a lot like those pretty cool. I, I was actually pretty happy with it too. It was a fun little project to figure out. They came out looking really good. The the gnarling looks very proper on it. When you go to use it, does it feel as good as it looks like it should? Yeah. Um and, and it's not knurled like a your normal knurled like nut or something like that that's got where it comes to a point. Yeah. Um they've got the flat tops, but even because my tolerances were so tight on the threads, I had to play with it a little while to wear it down a little. Okay. And it was chewing up my hand with four oh, of was them. It? <laughs> Just That's good. Overcoming the little bit of friction and backing off on it. So um, in that respect, they are doing the job that it was designed to, even though it's not a tighter geometry. Nice. Sharper. Pretty gnarly, nice. dude. <sighs> gnarly? Gnarly. Gnarly, <laughs> dude. Well, it's knurled, not gnarled, so it's gnarly. There you go. Well, that's awesome. I think we switched somewhere in the middle. I kept saying gnarled, and you guys were saying knurled, and whatever. no, you were saying knurled, Andy was saying gnarled. Which one's right? Knurled, 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 knurled. That word no longer makes sense to me. It is a <laughs> weird, weird. Been oversaid. K N U R L neural. One of those times when an engineer had a great idea and nobody understood what they were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and that is why engineers use basic terminology to describe everything. There you go. Anyway, uh, so we did have a topic today. And yeah, it a is little, a little bit already. A little bit, yes. You referenced it. It's colors. Pretty, pretty colors. Me and my amazing Technicolor printer. Well, <laughs> That's me. I, I think that first the uh, idea came from Kevin being able to customize his colors. Whereas yeah. we're the rest of us are kind of bound by whatever filament we're using. So, yeah. Although Kevin did discover that even though he can customize his colors... He has to stick with the same color on the resin printer. Well, I don't really have to stick to with some the degree. Same color. I just have to be a little bit more uh, in control of um, how much of a particular color of resin I put in the vat, uh, because I did, I did, I was able to have like some pretty stark transitions without actually taking any resin out. It was when I took resin out that I started having printing issues. Okay. <laughs> And what I did was I put just a little bit of the yellow in, and then I mixed in some red, and it mixed with the orange to make the orange, and then it right. then mixed with the yellow to make the orange. Yep. Yeah, yeah, mixed with <laughs> the yellow to make the orange, and then uh, 
when that was almost gone, I put in more red and that, so it, it had a pretty good stark transition there. Um, cool. Anyway, um, I had a quick idea. Remember how you were talking about adding uh, glitter to, to your print and it didn't work because all the glitter settled? Um, do you have space in your, in your printing vet to put maybe like a, uh, four centimeters cubed, uh, 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 pump in there no. with a little wire trailing out? No. Um, I, I might, uh, what I, I might have space for like a little two, two millimeter inner diameter tube to go into it. Hmm. Could do something like Andy's outside. tank pump. Where it's yeah. outside. Okay. Where, yeah. where what the, about the stir- motor is outside, yeah. What about a stirring device in a very thin, small magnet? Like that what would you would, would it? Yeah, because the yeah. You, you can't have a stirring device between the build plate and the FEP because then the, the, the uh, model has to make contact with the FEP so that the light can cure it. Good point. Good point. Yeah. I was just wondering if there was any sort of extra space, like maybe in the corner or something, but yeah. Um, Very if little. you could put it, stick a, stick a tube down the, down the corner of it to, to ro- rotate it like one, one on one end that pushes out and one on one end that sucks it in that way you can kind of keep it flowing and rotated. That would keep the glitter moving through. I would, I would, I would think eh. maybe it was a thought. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of complicate it just to add some glitter. <laughs> right. but that would, mean, that would mean the world to my kid though so right <laughs> so uh on the subject of color though seems to me that your transitions were most easy when you could move to a uh looking at the color will move to a color that was next to the one that was already in there yes yes and that's that's why I, I didn't run into problems with the print quality until I needed to go from, um, no, I, I shouldn't have ha- even had problems going from red to blue. I think it was just that I, I had already made, I had an idea for the shade of purple I wanted, and there was already too much red in the vat for what I was going to do. And so I said, okay, I need to get some of this red out so that I can put the purple in. And that's where I started running into issues. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. Instead of, well, and if you were going the opposite direction, it would be difficult to come back towards the blue yeah. too quickly. So, yeah. And so, but by then I, I was trying to go backwards. And so I only had a few blue spots that next to the purple actually looked more gray than anything because it's such a light shade of blue. Mm-hmm. Well, that's here's me. Here's me picturing Kevin. I put it in the vat. Until it dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So color theory has been kind of interesting to me anyway. Um, uh-huh. Now, most of what I have picked up and learned has been uh, in drawing class where it touches against it, but because we're dealing mostly with graphite or charcoal, it doesn't really get a lot of attention. Um, but I've always found it interesting, like with... Uh, if you're looking at the color wheel, things like colors that are on opposite sides of the wheel will stand out against each other. Yes. Whereas colors that are next to each other kind of blend more than, uh, I guess, standing out. 
Right. Um, but they're also easier to transition between, like we already said before. So I guess at this point, it was really more a matter of, for lack of a better word, you had too much momentum in the other direction before you tried to come back towards the blue. Yeah. Huh. That's redshift. An... Oh, that too. His printer redshifted and he was finally able to grab it. Um, yeah, when, when it goes slower, <laughs> it's moving away. Um, okay. So I, I, I am not formulating a good question for that. Maybe we'll come back on it. Hey, Chris, sure. you yes. successfully printed with a binary colored filament and it was showing properly on the, uh, finished product where one color was the right cut. Or they were different colors on each side. Yeah. How did that work out for you? So it seems to be kind of a, a, a rare sort of thing because I've used the I've used the bicolor filament. So it's I'm going to call it a bicolor filament because that's what it is. It's mm -hmm. one color on one side of the filament, one co color on the other. And if you put it into your uh, print print head with one color on one side and one color on the other side the hope is that it stays that way for the whole print that is not necessarily the case <laughs> and so i've had more prints than not actually um the filament rotates just a little bit as, we end up with a blend the, of the two i'm assuming yeah so the the the, the it's still a bicolor and your print ends up looking bicolored but it just kind of rotates a little bit up the print <laughs> Okay. So, okay. That makes but sense. I did I did have one successful print where one side was one color and one side was the other color. And that was on that little link link shaped pen cup. Okay. Um, and it makes sense to me as I think about it that that would be more often the case where the colors shift and rotate. Yep. Just because they were spun onto the spool and the tensions settled that way, so when they straighten out again, they would twist as they went down into the uh, the hot end, right? Yeah. yeah, so they twist a little bit because it's spooled up, and um, because my head, the, the my printer head, is the thing pulling the spool. Mm. So that tension there, when it gets released a, a little bit because the, the spool turns a little bit or something, will allow that to rotate a little bit in the print head as that happens. That okay. Sense. Okay. Yeah. So how serious is the shift? Is it like you, you said there's still, it depends on how tall the print is. Cause like sometimes uh, I've, I had a couple of prints cause I, I think I've only like, like printed four or five things with this, with bicolored filament mm -hmm. and um, on all, but the one it, it, um, it rotated at least 45 degrees at That's least quite a bit from the from the bottom of the print to the top of the print so i'm sorry how, how tall was that print uh I, I would say three three to four inches somewhere oh that's not seriously bad yeah that, that i think that that would be easy to present as a feature of the the printing process as anything yeah. right the, i you mean know. the prints the prints didn't look bad they, they, you talk they, about they, a they shift and cool. you talk yeah. about a shift and my brain thinks, you know, 45 degrees over 
five millimeters would be almost tragic in my mind. But if it's a gradual shift like that, then we almost don't notice it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I maybe it's still any... not desirable, but not I wonder like... if there's any device that you can build that would, um, you could run the filament through that would force it to rotate a particular direction while it watched the colors on the filament. So it would keep them in the same orientation through the whole print. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a way to do that. I would start worrying about tensions on the spool. Right. That is true. Well, if it's only twisting, you know, 45 degrees for the course of the whole print, then that's it not It probably much. wouldn't be a ton, yeah. Yeah. But that way, if you wanted something really particular with the way the color changing went, you know, that uh, you'd be able to get what you wanted. I don't yeah. know how, how much babysitting it would take to do it manually by hand, you know, other than sitting there through the whole print process, which would be ridiculous <sighs> to do. Yeah, I think if anything, maybe you just want to get yourself one of those cheap little uh, Wi-Fi cameras and stick it next to your printer, and then you can go do your thing and then just you know pop your phone open and check it occasionally as the print pr print progresses. Or yeah, just yeah, never print anything taller study. than never print anything taller than a hundred millimeters tall and uh, fifty <laughs> wide. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin, I did just realize that I just kind of moved on. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about with the color? Um, not particular. I did get some of this bicolored filament. I was going to print this dice tower in, uh, but they came on 200 gram spools. And each piece of this uh, tower is, a, is about 100 grams. So I'd get like two pieces <laughs> per thing. And it's it's made up of several pieces. So instead, I think I'm just going to print the tower in black and then have the base with the fancy archway fencing around it be uh, be in the fancy colors. That could work too. That sounds yeah. good. What colors? Uh, just for my mental image? Uh, so the, I was going to use the um, silk red and blue for it. Ooh. Okay. So I came cool. I came across something that you can actually that, that that you are actually able to do, Kevin. None of us huh. can't. None of us. None of us can. Um, so what it is is a guy used used his FDM printer to print bigger stuff, but then he took a paintbrush and then and and colored resin and uh, basically took out the, the, the took out the lines and things on his FDM printed object. Um, to, with colored resin, with colored resin, and then cured it in his curing station, so that it was actually all smooth and colored, and he and it was like he painted it, but it's actually imbued in the resin. So hmm. yeah, that's so, cool. Yeah, so that would uh, be I, cool. It's, it's something you can try. I'll see if I can find the hybrid. YouTube link again and send it to you. Hybrid FDM, and that would be well. I. And that was an idea I had for the end pieces also was um, printing the rack pieces with the grids and everything on the FDM and then printing the end pieces for the tube rack on the resin printer. Uh, I haven't tried that yet, but I, I did have that idea. That could be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, I that mean, would be neat. Conceivably, <laughs> when it's all printed to spec, it should all fit together just fine, right? Right. <laughs> or with a minimum of uh 
intervention on your part. Right. Should being the operative word. <laughs> Should. <there>. No. Yeah. <laughs> Frank's now favorite you're, you're, word. Now you're coming to understand why I hate the word so much. <laughs> I use it far too often. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really neat to to be able to do though. Like especially if it was something as simple as just taking your FDM part and dipping it in resin and then throw it in the cure station and voila, there go your layer lines. That would be an awesome trick. Yeah. Beats the hell out of smoothing, whether right. chemical or uh, the one that you alluded to a while ago, the uh, the paint sand paint. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what I use for most of the the stuff that needs to be a fancy color is paint sand paint. And that does get rid of layer lines. I'll give it that, but it's a lot of work. Yeah, I can see that. Well, um, this has been a shorter conversation than usual, but does anybody have anything they want to add? Yeah, sorry. I don't, I just don't use colors. I use, you know, mostly just black and white for just about everything. So this is why I didn't ask for your input, Andy. Right. (laughs) I I know that, I know that you're a, uh, what's the word for it? A binary or no, a mono, you're a monotonal printer. Monochrome. Monochromatic printer. There it is. There you and, go. Uh, like it's like the old uh, dot matrixes, and now somebody's just given you a color bubble jet, and you're like, <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> or you still only use it to print black and white wherever you go. Or any of our <laughs> listeners who are old enough to have seen the transition from black and white to color TVs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There. I know yeah. it was quite sensational when it first happened. <laughs> I don't know about Being you, but. To, when I- I was a teenager. I was able to hide a a six inch TV in my in my bedroom, and it was black and white. And I was still excited to have a TV. I didn't have to share with anybody else. Wow, no kidding, right? You say that, <laughs> but you can hide a TV in your watch now. It's just yeah. a matter of how small do you want to watch the screen on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, with colors that that is something different. I I do got some some nice color change and stuff. The wife saw some of Chris's prints and asked me why I never used that kind of stuff. And I Sorry. just pointed to the color and, and complained about it. So <laughs> maybe buy some. And now I've got it. I haven't still haven't used it. She, uh, she says she wants to pick out one of the dragon like things that, that, you know, that you guys have been printing and have me printed in that, but she hasn't picked one out yet. So I haven't really tried oh. to use it, but I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine. It's just, PLA, so I'm sure it'll print just fine, but it's just yeah, not a whole lot that I've ran through my printer. It's okay. all about the application. Like, so I used, I decided to use the color change stuff on drink coasters because they'll, the, you'll see a definite, definite color shift at, when you put a, a cold or hot drink on it. As yeah, opposed that's to, kind of cool. And, and, and then, that, that is more um, the thermal change, uh, which we haven't really touched on yet. Right. Um, we've been talking about static colors, but, uh, so with the thermal change, which, uh, first, what are the colors that you've got? Like, do they start at plain white? Do they start with some other color and then transition from there or. So they're basically a, a medium, medium ish color. So I've got orange, red, blue, and green. Or okay. I, I did. I've no, now only got red left. But or uh, pink. Sorry, it was pink, orange, blue, and green. And so pink is just a really, really light red. Yes. So they're kind of a mediumish color. 
Now, the a green one shifts from yellow all the way to a darker green, depending on whether it's warmer or colder. So it's warmer, it's yellow. And then when it's colder, it's darker green. And then when okay. it's warmer, it's kind of a, like a medium green. And, that's, uh, and then the blue does white, blue, dark blue. Um, the orange does something kind of like that. It goes from really light orange to orange to uh, darker orange. And then the the pink again, whitish to pink to really dark, darker pink, you know, but. Okay. Uh, Does it seem to change pretty quick to the temperature change? Um, It's just like any other plastic you've had that did color changing stuff. I, I you, hold, you okay. like the, those controllers, I, those Joy-Con, um, the, the Joy-Con grips that I printed. Um, yeah. You know, you, you hold them for about a minute and then let go and you can see where your hands were, you know, you okay. can see where you, where you'd grabbed it. And then I'm assuming cool. the longer you hold it, the more, I guess, heat soaked it is. So it'll spread from there depending on how intensely you're playing. Yeah. Depending on how, how, how long you've been holding it. And you okay. know, like you, like you would normal thermal uh like stuff you'd buy from the store that has color changing plastic cool yeah. okay. but okay you, you, and it's like like i was saying on a previous episode it's hard to judge what it's really going to look like as it goes or as as you're going to use it w- while you're printing because the hot end is hot the uh, <laughs> what no slow down the, the, what <laughs> the, the bed is hot the bed is hot i don't so understand when you're when you're printing it when you're while you're printing it the the hot parts of it all look white or you know just off shades of white okay and then you don't know what color it really looks like until <laughs> it's done printing and cooled down so. <laughs> going through the print does the does the filament seem to still be the same color from you know off the cold rill to the cold print after it's cooled down is it still so, yeah, the same so color that's... or does it change when it's gotten that hot so yeah, that's the fun part. Is like all of the parts where the plastic is interacting with a, a hot, the hot part of it, is changed color. So everything on the bed through the whole print is the hot color of the color change stuff. And then okay. where if you've got a taller print where it's been cooling a little bit, it's not quite the color because it's still kind of warm, but it's not as warm as as the the plastic that's in contact with the bed or the stuff that's just barely been printed out on the top couple of layers. And there's like an inch to two inches off of the print head where you can tell that the plastic's been getting in contact with the head long enough that it's all color changed up there. And then back to, and then from there back to the reel, it's all, it's all the, 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 the the regular color. Okay, that's kind of cool. So uh, maybe I interpreted the question wrong, but uh, I'm going to ask it again using my own head cannon. After you pull the part off of the printer and it's cooled off to room temperature, uh-huh. is it the same color as the plastic was on the spool? Or has oh. the heat changed it chemically it's, so that it's a different color? It's slightly darker, just okay. ever so slightly, but it's really close. So okay. what you get on the spool is going to be really close to what that print ends up being. Okay. okay. Have so you guys less... played with? Have you guys played with uh, glow in the dark filament at all? I have a little bit. 
Yeah, um, I had a hard time getting my getting adhesion on my glow in the dark stuff. I don't, you know, I it, it took me a little Air bit to get that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, even to itself. I haven't tried glow in the dark yet. Right. <laughs> so cool. yeah, the, yeah, the glow in the dark stuff. I I, I had it, it sticks to it. It would it would print to itself just just dandy. It was all about getting it to stick to my bed, and um, turns out I um um I just needed to up my bed temperature just a little bit for just the glow in the dark stuff. That's good. Okay. Still don't need I... to buy no. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> we don't need uh, your stinking hairspray. You had him so your, close a few weeks ago, Andy. I know, we don't I know. Need your nope. spray adhesion. We don't yep, need no bed you, control. You guys have seen some of the funky <laughs> angles with no adhesion stuff that I've been able to pull off. You know, that oh, 85 degree stem off of the bed with no brims or or you know anything like that it does work man and it works brilliant yeah but we're stubborn yeah, yeah that's okay almost that's almost okay. as stubborn as you but we're stubborn <laughs> <laughs> totally fine and but that's yeah, the I, end I, of the topic okay. bottom line no more <laughs> <laughs> Some stuff I do want to get and start to try printing with is some of that uh, translucent. Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen that. That looks awesome. You know, that... do, do you guys remember when you could see through all your electronics in like the the, the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, yeah the clear the Game Boy and cases and yeah, yeah. phones like, and all that I, other fun stuff. I'd like to revive some of that again. I have cool. used some uh, transparent PETG to print out some uh, light diffusers for some motorcycle blinkers on my dad's uh, Chinese uh, uh, motorbike mm -hmm. that uh, did turn out really good. I mean, it's transparent is kind of a funny word to use for what yet what the outcome is, but you know, it, it light does shine through it with not a whole lot of issue. You I've can't seen see through it, but yeah. I've seen That's a video a or two of someone who printed, I think it was clear PETG, and it was glass. It was like glass looking through. No it. kidding. So, yeah. So what I've got here is uh, I got some clearance lights down at the local hardware store. Okay. And this, you see, you see the 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 white. Those are LED lights in the normal light bulb, and okay. they are like all kinds of different colors, and okay. they are really really Chris is really showing cool. us. Chris is showing us a light bulb that looks very similar to the old incandescent bulbs that's uh, smaller and uh, LED, dri LED driven on the inside. Right. Until so, you said uh, they were LEDs, I actually thought they were some kind of marbling or, or, or what's your so, no, no, project so bought, with those? So, so I bought this, right? Uh, the idea is that um, because this bulb is actually glass, but these are LED lights, I'm going to remove the glass from these and 3D print a new diffuser or, or a, a new a new bulb, essentially glass part of it with uh, with PET with PETG and uh, print it in slightly varied colors. So that would be cool. So that would be really cool. Yep. Yeah. So with the clear. 
I mean, I guess it wouldn't be that much of a stretch to just make your own light bulb covers from there, right? If you could figure right. out how to repeatedly keep it clear. Um, yeah. I did get the impression from the video I saw that that is the major part of the challenge with printing with it, because if you don't do it just right, it'll be foggy. So it's not well, translucent so much. I was saying I want them slightly foggy, and then I want to be able to print them in like different you know light shades of different colors okay so, okay so it, it wouldn't need to be perfectly clear then no okay that gives you a little bit of room for error on that i project. mean that would be most nice. of the light bulbs that we have in our condo are not clear from the, well, the light they're subdued a little bit well if you if you intentionally print with a little room for error on on what you want it to be like it's kind of like how uh, you can do um, uh, textured ceilings to kind of cover up all of the <laughs> all of yeah, the mudding, mudding mistakes you made. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my house too. too. Which <laughs> now here, here's the problem with that word because the client that you worked with pronunciated it muddy when her TV wasn't making any noise. <laughs> And now you're talking about a muddy color, muddied ceiling. Well, I'm yeah. just saying, you, you, if you if you intentionally, uh, if if you know that if you don't do it perfect, you're going to have this sort of thing to it. Print it intentionally that you're going to have this sort of thing to it a little bit. That way, it looks like you did it on purpose. That's the important part. Yeah. <laughs> yes, lean into it. Does anybody have anything color specific that they want to get off their chest? Not really. I don't think. Not really. I got a lot of lack of color. <laughs> well, we already covered this. You're monochromatic. Personally, you are monochromatic, so it makes sense that you would only have two or three colors. I guess That's that so would sweet be. Of you. I love you too, Frank. Thank bichromatic. <laughs> trichromatic. Uh, and trichromatic. Because. Because most of the stuff I print by is is by and for request, you know, um, I I end up getting a, a lot of color involved with my with my prints. You know? I do have a question for you, Chris. Is it seem to be worth buying those sets of colors instead of buying full sized uh, reels of colors? Well, you get the 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 price difference is only a couple of dollars in most okay. cases. So what I would pay for a full two kilogram reel is only a couple of dollars more to get uh, four co four colors of the same weight. You know? Okay. Or okay. you can get a full color reel the same, you know, a full size color reel, and it's only a couple of dollars more than what I'd get for a black reel or a white reel. So okay, it's it's worth it. It's only a couple of dollars. You don't really notice that when you're buying the plastic. So okay, that's not too bad. Just something I might need to open up to a little bit um printing all these stuff for my kids play has kind of led me to feel a little bit more freer about you know just printing stuff at random for the for the kids when they want it and having a little bit of color to throw into the mix might be worth it hmm. yeah um Andy and the technicolor dream printer <laughs> <laughs> there were a couple of things that came in mind for me mostly to dealing with uh color theory Black and white are not colors, they're hues. True. And the color magenta 
can't physically exist. Does not exist. It's a, it's an yeah. imaginary color. It's 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 a color your your head makes up because mm-hmm. of the, the the contrast of the two pixels that are put next to each other. It's it's really well, funny. The, the, the way it works. You, that's when you get into the scientific definition of color, uh, <laughs> not the yeah. not the regular every everyday human definition of color. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's, it's all because is what what your uh, what a color looks like at a single wavelength of light. And since magenta only exists as two wavelengths of light that are coming off of the same thing that your brain interprets as a single color, that's why they say magenta does not exist. It's a oh, made-up yeah. color. So, it is literally made up in your head every time you look at it. Yep. So the, the, <laughs> I didn't really plan on going this deep, but we might as well, right? <laughs> So when you look at a color, your eye is, or because your eye can only perceive the uh, red, yellow, and blue. Red, um, green, and blue. Yes. That. Green is the mixture of yellow and blue. It'd be red, yellow, and blue, wouldn't it? The cones. The cones and no. rods in your head. No, see, you're thinking in your pigment. Eyeballs. You're thinking pigment. The primary colors of pigment are magenta, uh, cyan and yellow and the primary colors of light are red green and blue and that's so you've got red green and blue cones because they're no way yellow is green and blue not the other way around my memory is goofing with me anyway so the point is yellow is green and red anyway and our red and green are really close to each other too aren't they as far as the frequencies they pick up so people who are colorblind have their red and green picking up the same frequencies range for the most part. And that's what makes them not be able to see red or green very different or be able to differentiate between the two. Uh, They actually don't have the cones necessary to see those colors. Yeah. They're missing. So so green, green is the mixture of blue and yellow in pigment. Yes. So our eyes have red, yellow and blue cones in variable Red, uh, green, varieties and blue red green blue anyway so your brain interprets what they're saying and averages to give you a color yes and yeah. so when you get into magenta which is the average of blue and red your brain already has the green spectrum yellow spectrum identified and those are important colors because 300,000 years ago, when man was Monkey running brains. through the forest, it was important brains to be able to identify things that were not green. Monkey yeah. brains needed good fruit. Right. So um, our brain recognizing that it wasn't an actual green, that, okay, we're going to assign it this other color by averaging and recognizing that it's an average instead of the actual color, the actual no, hue. Not ripe fruit, but almost ripe fruit. I'll come back in a week. And... Um, so long run, it was beneficial for us to be able to identify things that were green, but not green, and ultimately resulted in um, magenta, which we see now is still the average of blue and red on the color wheel, but does not exist in nature. Right. Yeah. And like right. I said, black and white are not colors. They're hues. So. so. Right. Yep. That was so, yeah. fun. 
Hey, I, I like arguing over semantics when I'm looking at a color wheel. Um, yeah. So if that is the end of that, thank you. I'm ready to wrap it up. Yeah. Sounds good. So all right. Thank you for listening to the very, 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 very end. Yeah, like he said. All the way. <laughs> if you like what you hear, please give us all the stars and subscribe. We are available through a wide variety of podcast vendors, and so we're easy to share. If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. If you have feedback or if you have content requests, please let us know. You can find us in our Facebook group, Amateur3DPod, or you can email us at panelists at amateur3dpod.com. For individual feedback, you can email us at Franklin, Kevin, Andy, or Chris at amateur3dpod.com. The music in this episode was written by Kevin Buckner. OpenAI's Whisper completed the heavy lifting for the transcripts, which you can find linked in the description. And our panelists are me, Franklin Christensen, and my friends, Kevin Buckner, Chris Weber, and Andy Cottom. Until next time, we're going offline. Keep your FEP tight. Sign off are you, suckers. <laughs> Color theory, who knew? <laughs> It actually is. Oh, did we lose Chris? No, I'm right here. I lost everybody. <laughs> but we didn't lose we you. Didn't Andy. Lose you we Andy. didn't lose you. He can't hear us though. Nope. There's just gonna be a big section that I pull out of the podcast near the end where oh, I took us off the rails and accused you of not being able to be heard. Oh, um, yeah. as long as it makes sense, I'll leave most of it in though, I'm sure.